You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 477. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we discuss the series premiere of the Prime Video, the Lord of the Rings prequel, The Rings of Power. We are recording on Monday, Labor Day, here in the States, and, uh, you know, you, you battled COVID yourself a few weeks ago, and... Looks like your family's still battling it. Yeah, yeah. My wife just tested positive on Thursday, so <clears throat> you know we're trying to uh, we're trying to take care of her. Uh, but it's uh, it's very I know it's very frustrating for for her because you know like you just basically have to sit in a room for six days. Now, if you are a, a phlegmatic individual like me, then you know uh, having to spend six days just sitting on your butt watching TV and reading is is not that terrible of a of an ordeal but uh you know more energetic people like my wife are probably you know it's just it's uh it's frustrating for sure so yeah and like i mentioned to you <laughs> for me and my wife when we rarely leave the house it makes it a lot easier to uh to avoid covid yeah. but uh yeah well hopefully she's gonna start feeling better yeah, in the I next day is, or two so yeah all right, well, but we haven't thanked our patrons in a while. Uh, Fred, of course, Dan, Richard, Travis, Mark, Cindy, and Mike. Appreciate you guys. And as we always say, we appreciate people just listening to our discussions. And this is something we've been waiting to start for a few months now. Once uh, I think it was Fred that really put the idea, at, le- at least in front of me and and. You know, you were probably, I think, aware that that Lord of the Rings was going to be a, a thing on Prime Video, and and uh, by all indications, it was huge in terms of viewership on this uh, first day that episodes one and two dropped. And you know, I watched it at nine o'clock when it dropped. What about you? Well, I watched it at probably like nine thirty because that. That's I, I was at back to school night that night, and I came home to to find out. Well, actually, Jody, my wife tested. I guess when I got home, so I got home at like nine o'clock ish or whatever, and, and then she was sick. So I said, "Well, you should probably take." I, I, you know, I, I I knew she was sick, so like I was before she even tested, I was like starting to move my stuff out of the room. I'm like, I'm just gonna go sleep in uh, Brendan's room tonight, so. Um, so anyway, I, I didn't, I wasn't able to get to it uh, quite just yet. But yeah, I, I definitely watched the first episodes that night. I wasn't going to watch the second episode because I was just going to go to sleep. And then, you know, darn it, it just started playing all on its own before I had a chance to turn it off. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm watching this one too. Okay, so 9.30. So, you, so you're really not all that serious about it. But okay, that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Anyway, what I'm watching this week, I finished dresden detectives aka tatort uh, at least all that's available for this crew and and i've mentioned before uh, just it, it, the tatort crime dramas they have all sorts of detective pairings covering all sorts of german cities it's just that that what's available on prime or actually no we're watching it on pbs i i stand corrected it, it's just the the dresden detectives uh, we're also working our way through an Italian series called Thou Shalt Not Kill, which I think is a terrible title for this <laughs> series. We, and again, it's another crime drama that centers around a 30-year-old female detective who, you know, I've talked about the tropes that are involved in all of these international crime dramas. 
and she kind of moves away from that trope of the single mother struggling to meet her child's needs and still feed her professional obsession with the cases. So this one, you know, she's still obsessed with the cases, but she's never been married. Um, you know, she's not, I mean, yes, there is some damage that she's dealing with, but, but for the most part, she functions just fine. You know, there's some family drama involved, but, but it's really a good show. Uh, but I did return. I think I mentioned this last week, maybe to the man in the high castle. And I, Oh, you did not mention that. Oh, well, you know, and, and so, Oh, okay. And I, was under the misapprehension that I had seen season one and that was it. But that was when it came out in what was it? 2013, maybe or 2014 way back. Yeah. So I thought, all right, I'll rewatch season one, which I did. And it took me about a week to get through that. I start watching season two and certain things start feeling familiar. Uh-huh. I pretty much looks like I watched all of season two back then, but I, I still needed the rewatch. So um, a little over halfway through season two now. And, and I know you've mentioned in the past, Dave, how could you not keep going? And you're, you're right, as usual, about these <laughs> kinds of things. Uh, so anyway, so I'm, I, would I, not think, I'm, I think I'm on episode six of season two. All so right, cool. Yeah. Anyway, what are you watching? So the the first is a show that I've actually been meaning to watch for a while because it is it's set in Baltimore. It's the HBO miniseries We Own This City. Uh, have you heard about this one? I've heard about it, but I haven't watched it. Yeah. So I mean, you obviously, I'm sure you remember when the the, the all the stories about the Gun Trace Task Force were it was in the newspaper a couple years ago, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, these cops were basically, they, you know, they were, a, a, as their name says, they were supposed to go and just get guns and drugs off the street, and they they did that. But also, what they would do is they would just straight up rob people, like the the people they were arresting. They would steal their money, they'd break in their houses. Uh, it was, you know, and it was a huge, huge uh, story. You know, I guess maybe like four or five years ago here. Now, I, I'm, I know, I'm sure the story went nationwide. So the, the, they made this miniseries about it, and it's uh, David Simon who did Homicide and a um, bunch, what else has he, oh, The Wire. Um, he was the writer, I, think, I don't know if he was the showrunner for The Wire, but um, guy used to write for The Baltimore Sun. And it, it was like those other shows set in Baltimore, those gritty police dramas. They This was also... Very, very good. Uh, John Bernthal from uh, Walking Dead and The Punisher is the, kind of like the lead character there. And his Baltimore accent is just dead on. Like, it is great. Like, to, like the, to hear him put on that accent and not even being from here was great. Um, who else? Uh, the, you know, Josh Charles is also in it. Um, but Josh Charles grew up in Baltimore, so his... His accent is, is very uh, natural as well. Um, but just a, a great show. Uh, I'm not going to go too much. I was just thinking, like, when I brought this up, to just say that while shows like this are are fabulous, they're really good shows, they're really good pol- drama and everything, I just wish someone would make a, a nice show about Baltimore, you know? Maybe set a show in Baltimore with, like, uh, you know, like uh, just a family. They go to the park and the zoo and stuff like that instead of, 
uh, every every show about Baltimore uh, focusing on the the crime and and the drugs and the murder and stuff like that, which is you know part of every city. I you know obviously, but um, you know anyway. But it, it was really good, uh, well worth it. Um, so the, the other thing I wanted to bring up is not something I'm watching, but something I'm reading. And I imagine that this would be something you've already read, but uh, um, Stranger in a Strange Land. Oh, yeah. Highland. Yeah. So I'm probably about halfway through that that book. And while there are definitely parts of it that have not aged well, like, at all, it's uh, so far a pretty good story. I'm enjoying it, though. Good. All right. Cool. All right. Well, let's get to The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, on Amazon Prime Video, episode one, Shadow of the Past, written by John D. Payne and Patrick McKay, who are relative newcomers when you check out their IMDb resumes. Directed by J.A. Bayona, who directed Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and episodes one and two released on September, actually, it was September 1st, uh, Thursday at nine o'clock. Right. You know uh, what? I, I found out what the deal is. Because they release it, the day they announce the release, they release it on that day on Greenwich Mean Time. Oh, okay. At midnight. So they so it gets released at, at midnight Greenwich Mean Time, which then gives it 9 o'clock uh, p.m. the quote-unquote night before in here on the, the east coast of the U.S. Yeah, we'll take it. Well, anyway, um, you know, one of the things, and, and Fred mentioned something in his feedback, and, and, you know, you and I were talking about it before we hit the record button. I mean, this is a prequel to The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogy, and, you know, some things are going to get spoiled. Fred mentioned something in his feedback that you, I guess you could construe as a spoiler, but come on, the statute of limitations yeah. is long up. Yeah, so. And, you know, I guess probably even the, I mean, certainly the assumption of the showrunners is that the people watching this show have at least seen the movies, the three movies, you know, or actually six movies, right? Because you got The Hobbit as well. So, yeah. And, you know, that's an interesting uh, approach that, and we're making the assumption that, that that's, you know, what, what they're thinking because they've really got to appeal to people that have not read the books, have not seen the movies and are probably not going to do that. So can they draw them in with what they've got? Because a lot of people, you, you can't miss the buzz surrounding this series. So the people that it attracts with no Lord of the Rings background, they've got to be brought in. And I think to a certain level, not not that significant the first two episodes are somewhat problematic in that as you often mention it's so much exposition it's so much world building mm -hmm. it's a lot to take in it, it is but you know and, and fred says this you know they don't have to explain to you what an orc is or what an elf is or what a, a dwarf is and everything or the um the harfoots which are you know obviously early ancestors of the hobbits um we already kind of most people are going to bring that prior information already to the table and, and if they don't have that background you, you get the sense that okay this is a fantasy tale you, you know there are elves and while they haven't necessarily well i guess that was an orc 
under the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so they're they're starting to be introduced to these characters, but they don't have to have the historical background to get into right. this new series. Right. And and I did read somewhere that the plan is, and obviously Prime Video can always change its mind for five seasons. Okay. Because it looks like season one is only eight episodes and they've just spent two of those eight (laughs) pretty much world building and introducing characters. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. And, and, you know, I, I also read that they started filming some of season two not too long after season one, which makes a lot of sense so that sure. you don't have to tear down sets and things like that. So anyway, well, you know, it's you, really quick. I mean, there's just one thing, as you mentioned, like that there Tolkien ha, has built a, a very rich and detailed history into middle earth. And he's got even like appendices. And, and I've actually read, cause I've never read the Silmarillion, but I guess all the, everything that's happening here is in the appendices of the Silmarillion, which, you know, very few people probably get there. But you know, the thing is, there is like, you know, and there are, there's people who are super, super into uh, the Middle Earth and know everything, right? They know the whole history. Um, as they're watching this, there's probably characters in here that there's, oh, yeah, there's that guy, you know, like, so, um, but we're not those guys. We, we, are, we are fans uh, we both have read Lord of the Rings. Uh, we both, you've seen the movies, right? I've seen the first one, to okay. be honest. All right. So, you know, and I've seen the all three of the Lord of the Rings movies. I saw the three Hobbit movies. You know, so we we have, you and I, I, I guess we could basically say we have a, a passing knowledge and understanding of Middle Earth. But if you're looking for like a deep dive into that, 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 uh, that world, that, depth of knowledge of all the characters and the nuances and the history like we're not going to have that we're basically two fans watching the show with with you know just bare knowledge of the backstory and everything yeah. right i can i can see my copy of the silmarillion from here but i've never read it yeah <laughs> so uh, it's it's a big book yeah. uh, but well, anyway but even my dad like my dad is super into like sci-fi and fantasy and all that stuff and even he, I remember when I was like, oh, what about Silmarillion? It's like, ah, you, you're not going to like that. You don't want to read that. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, we always talk about the actors, except for some of the international shows where the pronunciations are, <laughs> are difficult and we take the easy way out and just uh, don't talk about it. So even here, there are so many. We'll just probably mention a, a few tonight. Uh, of course, Morphid Clark, who plays Galadriel, was in – his dark materials, which is a show I watched season one, and eh, it's—I it, mean, it was good, but oh, uh, Dave, I know. Well, Dave. see, okay, there, there, that's all you have to say. Now <laughs> it's in my head. I'll think Wayne said, "Oh, Dave, okay." Um, <laughs> now Elrond, and again, this is not something that I would have known except that I looked it up. Played by Robert Arameo, who was young Ned Stark in Game of Thrones, right, and um. You know, when I saw him, I'm like, God, I know I've seen that dude before, but I can't remember. And then I saw they play Young Nuts. So I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I, now I can't remember him. 
now High King Gil Galad, Benjamin Walker was in Jessica Jones, and and we'll mention a few others in, in the course of the discussion. But the other thing that that strikes me, you know, I'm watching this, and obviously shows like this, the music is integral to the story, and I'm thinking like, it sounds like Outlander music. And I go look it up, and it's, of course, Bear McCreary, who did does the music for Outlander, did the music for Battlestar Galactica, and needless to say, the music is just freaking awesome. Yes. But uh, one thing that you and I talk about frequently with shows that we do, and uh, it seems it's going to be a huge part of this one, and that is the concept of the hero's journey. And that's obviously big in Tolkien. Uh, So who are we predicting? I mean, Galadriel. I mean, it seems like we've got several characters that appear destined to go on a hero's journey. Yeah, well, I mean, Galadriel, for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, and, you know, Nori seems like she's on. She's definitely demonstrating some... Uh, early onset of you know, and again, it's because it's it's things that we saw, things we saw like movies of how you know hobbits for the most part, and, and I, I know they're not hobbits, so but you know they they are the precursors of hobbits, I guess we say, and, and we know from the Lord of the Rings that the hobbits for the most part are like homebodies, they they which is how they're very different from the Harfoots are nomadic, right? Uh, right. So they are not definitely not hobbits. Though they are like I guess halflings is is what they they're called in in the uh, in the Lord of the Rings world, but for the most part they they don't like that you know they they stay at home and even I think uh, Nori's mom says you know basically you know we stick to the path basically you know we don't wander off we don't go have adventures but Nori like Bilbo and in some ways like Frodo is interested in more than just what's her, you know, bounded by her small world of, of her, her family and her tribe or whatever there. There's certainly, she could be on a, um, on a, a early journey for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, Arendir and Bronwyn. Right, right. Arendir and Bronwyn. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so for me, you know, those are the ones that stick out at this point. Um, is there somebody I'm forgetting? Um, oh, uh, well, Elrond, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Uh, although it seems like it's not going to be a journey in the traditional sense, but you know whether or not he gets this tower built or not, I guess we'll see. Well, you know, we know he does. Okay. Oh, right. <laughs> All right. I mean, that's the thing. Like, there's, the there's two not, towers. As Fred mentions, it's right. It's like there's no mystery here. We know right. that they build the forge. They know they make the rings of power. We know where this is going, you know? Right. Good point. Good point. Um, and then, you know, we've mentioned the, the, the races within the Lord of the Rings world. Now, the elves, again, this is something that either I am just forgetting it or this is new to this series. Obviously, the elves seem to be the dominant species here, but we've got we've got two kinds of elves: the the Sylvan, which is what Arendir is, and then and I can't I forgot to write it down what Galadriel the, and she's a high elf. Okay, um, 
So that doesn't mean like that. You know, she's just like smoking weed all the time. Yeah, like. although <laughs> the series is young. Uh, we've got the dwarves, of course, who are miners, clearly craftsmen. I, I mean. OMG, once Elrond gets inside oh my God. of the mountain and, and sees the, I mean, it, it's just. Uh, that, that was amazing. That, yeah. that, was, that was probably, I would think, one of the highlights of, of these first two episodes. Was, and, and, and like, I mean, Peter Jackson really did set the bar pretty high as far as like the cinematography and, and of, of these worlds. And, you know, Films in New Zealand with like all these beautiful scenery to deal with, and and this so this show definitely early on tries very much to I'm not going to say mimic, but to 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 similarly to, to come up with like a similar shots and and the the spectacle and pageantry of Middle Earth that uh, Peter Jackson's camera uh, really focused on a lot we see this series doing a similar thing yeah and you know there are certainly points in the series episodes that we've seen so far where the cgi is to me it's noticeable but not enough to take me out of it and and i've mentioned before you know fantasy is not really my thing but you know so far i'm 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 liking what I see. Um, you know, you mentioned the Harfoot, and, and it's just, they just exist. They enjoy life. They live life. They're nomadic. Clearly, uh, they're going to play a role, you know, in in addition to Nori. And clearly, she seems to be the, the principal Harfoot at this point. Orcs, who are followers of Sauron. And then, is it fair to say that the humans are the low man on the totem pole. I mean, they are farmers, but they, they just see, I mean, certainly they are controlled. Isn't really the right word, but, but, uh, no, I, I, I think you put it pretty well, pretty well. They're kind of like the, yeah, the low, the low creatures on the totem pole. Right. Because they stood with Morgoth in the past and, and yes. the elves, <laughs> the elves have a long memory and and you know that that's one of the things that that we do learn in this series and and obviously they're setting up several scenarios for cross species romances i mean come on yeah i mean right. that seems pretty obvious and, and not unlike lost girl you know with uh god now the doctor and and uh and Bo and and their relationship except that we know that the doctor's human and she has a significantly shorter lifespan than Bo had right so you know there there was that i mean it doesn't really get explored in lost girl but but here that is an issue and and it comes up when Elrond goes to uh see his friend at Dwarf Mountain, and and um, you know, you, you, I mean, do we feel for him? I mean, we 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 understand Durin. you know, Durin's displeasure that his friend missed his wedding, the birth of his children, and, and all of that, and, and it's been twenty years, and we're thinking, like, dude, twenty years, but to an elf, that's nothing. That's nothing. That's and, and, seconds, right? But I guess we could argue. Dude, you should know that. 
Elron. Right. So, yeah, yeah. But I was busy, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and again, that's something we see throughout the, the, the you know, the, the Lord of the Rings stories is that there is this, you know, kind of animosity between dwarves and elves that they are, you know, kind of opposites in many ways. And, um, and there's, there's always conflict, uh, between them. Uh, so, and usually that is played out, especially in the Peter Jackson movies is played out for oftentimes for like kind of comedic effect when we see, especially, uh, in the the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, Legolas and and Gimli, oh, name almost didn't come to me. Uh, you know, are often at loggerheads and everything, and start accusing you know, like, well, of course a dwarf would say that, or that's just what an elf would do, or something like that. So yeah, so you know, in, in episode one, uh, you know, we already mentioned the Harfoot Nori's desire to to see beyond her nomadic life, which, you know, she appreciates. Um, and, 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 you know, we, we, you know, learn about her little tribe there, but I, I guess the big thing is the stranger that falls from the sky. And, and, you know, when, when she investigates the fire crater and, and, you know, we don't know who this dude is. He's, called the stranger in in imdb and in the credits so i guess we'll we'll go with that do you have any I, any theories um well you know it's it's difficult to tell because you know it, he seems like a giant but that's compared to yeah to nori right so is he simply human it, you know is he i mean it, again i I pretty, forget, pretty rare for a human to be inside a comet. You know. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't have any theories. Do you? Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm at like 95 that this is Gandalf. Okay. Ah, oh, now that would be. And the long hair and the beard. Yeah. Uh, of course, we're used to seeing him with the white hair and the white beard. But, oh, dude, that would be awesome. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a couple of things. I mean, A he always had a fondness for, for hobbits, right? Like he hangs around them all the time. And my, my son actually brought this up is remember like, you know, Gandalf had a thing for pyrotechnics and everything. And he certainly seems to be able to control fire and things like that. So, right. Yeah. Right. She steps in the fire pit and it's not hot. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, at, at first I thought it might be Sauron because remember like Sauron's disappeared um, Gladriel's trying to find them, but then I'm like, you know, they're not going to have Nori helping out the the most evil bad guy ever, you know. And I'm like, oh well, it's probably Gandalf, then, you know. Like, so I'm 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 pretty I'm I'm definitely going to stake my my prediction poll there down firmly on that one. Okay, and, and and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it certainly could go from a narrative perspective the other way, and that that we'd see then, you know, Nori in imminent danger, and and you know her her struggle to you know cut herself away from him. But I, I think you're probably right. But you know, Galadriel's story in Episode One is the other primary story, and her pursuit of Sauron. And we've mentioned this in the past on more than one occasion. 
you, you read about, oh, there's a dearth of strong female characters in, in movies and TV. And I'm thinking like, what shows are you watching? Because it seems like every show we cover has one or more strong female characters. And again, this is probably an underst- or overstatement that, that well, she, Galadriel is, is one of the strongest, but we've seen a lot of strong female characters. So we'll, do, we'll just leave it there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, her pursuit of Sauron just consumes her for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is the death of her brother. Absolutely. In, in, in that opening battle sequence. And, you know, the, the, the fact that she's willing to go against her king, kind of. I mean, you know, I mean, he, he, she goes farther into the, I guess, the Northlands because it, it's ice and, you know, <laughs> And everything. The land and of ice and snow. I, you know, dude. <laughs> All right. And I'm sure we're going to get a, uh, you know, I think winter is coming. But, yeah. uh, uh, you, you know, so, yes, yeah, she doesn't defy him per se, but she kind of does. And 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 at the end, she she does return, at least for, for a brief amount. But, you know, the... Elves resisted Morgoth when it was attacked. And, and, you know, we mentioned about the humans helping uh, Morgoth. And that's, you know, the elves have not let the humans forget that at at this point. It's a war that lasted for centuries. But again, as we said, in the elf lifespan, that's, you know, maybe not what the other species would, uh, would see. But Sauron and, you know his devoted followers of Morgoth, you basically left middle earth in ruins and, you know, things are, are, you know, being rebuilt at this point, but she seems to be alone in feeling that Sauron has not been defeated, continues to lead her troops and, you know, this endless pursuit. And I don't know, is that fair to say that her army mutinied against her? I mean, Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, well, and, and again, she definitely was not in touch with her troops, right? They're just like, we really, really want to go home. Like, we have gone way beyond what we're supposed to. And, and you know, none of them is as nearly as driven as she is. And, and as you point out, the they basically feel like, you know, we think Sauron's just, he's gone. He's dead or whatever. And... Yeah, like so, the the Elven King, I, I, I totally didn't catch his name, but um, just wants th- you know to to act like everything's okay and that you know Sauron's gone, uh, everything's gonna it's all peace and contentment and happiness now. That false sense of security is easy to buy into, right? Because it's what you want to believe, right? Everyone sure. wants to believe that everything's okay, Sauron's gone, and it's just gonna be blue skies and, and ukuleles from here on out. I don't know why I came up with ukuleles, but, but you know, and, and Galadriel's like, nah, no, I don't, I, I, there's, there's something terrible still out there and burying your head in the sand is not going to make it go away. Right. And we know she's right, but you understand 
the other perspective and and that scene where they form that circle and put their swords down and and again we've seen commanders in in other shows and other movies that that are are refuse to accept that and you know maybe they kill one of the soldiers it's like all right who's next but you know she gives in and and i think that's clearly the right move at this point and then we see her back in elf city and and you know the the king is willing to overlook her defiance this time, but as Elrond tells her, you, you might not want to do it again. But he sends the warriors home to Valinor. Galadriel is pissed. And, and that great line that, again, we probably should try to stop saying, but in the books. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't help, help it. it, though, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. so inextricably linked. Right. And... Uh, I, when she says this, I couldn't help but bring politics into my thought process. Evil does not sleep, it waits. Yeah, right. And That's a good line. And, and yeah, and we know she's right. You know, even if we haven't seen the movies or read the books, we know she's right. And, and I, I would certainly think first-time viewers – get that sense as well to, to that line and on the one hand it's almost as if she doesn't know what to do without the challenge but she knows she's right so so how's how's all of this going to you know work out for her and whenever you need a good shipwreck uh you know they, they bring that in and i mean yeah. i i mean she has followed her king's orders right i mean she's going home on this ship and i very often depend on you to explain certain things to me so she's on the ship you know yeah. and, and we're seeing the 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 comet or meteor or whatever i guess meteor rather than a comet in the sky and you know we're wondering oh what's it going to hit is it going to hit her ship like that opening scene where you know she's a child and and the children throw the rock and and knock her right 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 her little sailboat out of the water which you know i think we're certainly meant to make the connection between those two events but what is that rift that they seem to be sailing towards and then she jumps off the ship before you know it goes into the rift i i, I don't know what i don't know what i was watching at that point to be honest well that's I mean, that's the the place. Valinor? Uh, yes. Okay. And that's where she ultimately will go there with Frodo and Bilbo and Gandalf at the end of Lord of the Rings. At the end of it all, they get on a ship and they go west to, to return to Valinor. I mean, it's almost got that Valhalla yes. sense to it. But- uh, absolutely. And I, I don't know a lot about Valinor. I mean, except for that's where she's from. Right, because they said they left Valinor to go to Middle Earth to stop um, Morgoth. Man, these names, I just yeah, <laughs> they, they don't come easily. I think Morgoth was it. And so, like returning there, like yeah, as as you said, it 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 definitely seems like it is. It's like almost like Elf Heaven, Elf Paradise. You know, like everyone wants to go back there. She's the only one who rejects that. She's the only one who would even think to reject that. Everyone else is just like this is a great honor. This is kind of like the goal of it seems like of, of the elven lives is to you know be able to go to to Valinor 
Yeah, she rejects it. Uh, yeah, and then that scene where she has, uh, along with the others, her armor symbolically removed. And then she's not willing to give up her dagger, however, <laughs> right. when when the uh, the person that was participating in, in this symbolic act tries to grab her dagger. It's like, nope, you're not having this one. So she, again, is it fair to say she jumps off rather than falls off? That, Absolutely. That, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the refusal to, to return to Valinor and, you know, so then you know of course we're you know wondering what's going to happen to her now you know we we certainly get an answer in in episode two which we'll get to in a second but then the other story in in episode one is with uh bronwyn and aaron deer again another cross species couple bronwyn the human healer aaron deer the elven warrior who you know again it's it's one of those deals where he's told that the war's over you're going home. Well, okay, but now what do I do? Yeah, and it 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 doesn't take. I don't know how to. I was going to say something that was probably. Yeah. Very. Well, I mean, in- he's he's he, there's there's definitely a, a connection between himself and Bronwyn. Yeah, and if you don't see that, then I don't know what to tell you. And and it's it's just it's it's really aggravating because. She knows, he knows, we know that there's a spark between the two. And she's just like, dude, just say the word. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, I've said it hundreds of times without saying it. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, fair dude, enough. He's that, I, I know. I, you know like, but come um, on. You know, sometimes, well, yeah. oh, sometimes a, you know, I, I mean, a man or a woman needs to hear the words. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah so. Sure. But. You know, this is new ground. Um, as I think his commander tells him, you know, only twice have humans and elves gotten together, and both times it ended in tragedy, or maybe just once. I can't find the quote, but you know, so so it's it's not some something that's easily undertaken. You know? Sure, um, sure. Now he's been on this watch for seventy nine years, so obviously he's been here much longer than she's been alive uh, and the actress that plays Bronwyn Nazanin Bonaiti who I knew I recognized and I had to look it up and she was one of the major characters in Counterpart Fred mentions that in his feedback uh Ismael Cruz Cordova who plays Arendir I, I didn't really see anything that that we would know but you know so far he's just such an imposing compelling character and you know now that these two have set off on their journey we suspect we know where it's going but you know you never know so uh you know certainly that's that's part of it is that sauron's blade hidden under the floorboards of that barn i mean what is that thing yeah i I, i'm pretty sure it's like the hilt of, of sauron's sword it definitely has his mark on it um and we know that you know objects are very important in the Lord of the Rings. You know, sure, uh, you know clearly. So hanging on to, well, of course, uh, what Theo doesn't know what it is. Um, I can't remember even how they came across it, came upon it. But you know, anyway, he has he does not understand 
Well, it's, but it is certainly a, a object of tremendously dangerous uh, power. Right. And and his mother being a healer, uh, I mean, now she's not a witch, uh, but but she understands the power certainly of the the herbs and, and the medicines that she creates. So she, I would think, does not know of this blade's existence. How did he find it? Probably the old loose floorboard, you know, when they were messing around in the barn and you know, they pull up the board and, and find it under there. But that leads us into episode two, titled Adrift, uh, directed again by J.A. Bayona. This one's written by Jennifer Hutchinson, who had a lot of involvement with not only Breaking Bad, but Better Call Saul, which <laughs> don't seem to, I don't, I'm not sure how the connection is made to uh, Lord of the Rings, but but anyway, there it is. You know, we've got Nori, Poppy, and the Stranger now in, in this episode. And, you know, I, I read something the other day that, just speculating, is it good or is it bad that Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones series have been released at the same time? Almost implying that, well, nobody has time to deal with both like what yeah (laughs) but they are so different i mean it's natural to compare them i i I mean they are both fantasy tales we get that but they are so different i prefer the game of thrones world sensibility things like that but you wouldn't want a child watching game of thrones no as opposed to Lord of the Rings, where the parent, you know, probably wants to be there. You know, there are scary parts. But mm-hmm. as I was telling my wife, as she was deciding whether or not to to watch it, and and like I mentioned last time, I mean, she big Game of Thrones fan, uh, watched uh, you know the the new series, but but she's not big on all the violence. And while there's going to be violence in Lord of the Rings, you're not going to see blood. I mean, yes, you will, but not really. I mean, yeah. I mean, okay, fine. She cuts off the orc's head in this episode, but you know, it's not like in Game of Thrones. So, right. Um, you know, but so yeah, there is that. Yeah, they're 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 very 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 different. Not nothing like when I was watching Vikings. And the Last Kingdom at the same time, and was really having difficulty keeping straight what was happening and where because it was basically happening at the same time. So. Right, and that's even kind of different because from a historical perspective, yeah, like like right. you said, they're they're so close. Right. But you know, the whole story with Nori, Poppy, and the Stranger, you know, it injects you know certainly a, a, an amount of levity into the story, even though, and and I think you're absolutely correct that this is gandalf and they're like all right well how are we gonna how are we gonna get him down to the village and we're like okay yeah okay i want to see this Uh. well they put him in a cart and they they you know wheel him down but i think what really comes out so powerfully is nori's strong moral fiber and and, i mean we talked about whether or not she's going to be embarking on a hero's journey. And when we say that, you guys, if you've been listening for a while, we're talking about um, Campbell's hero's journey. And, and, you know, we'll talk about the different aspects of that, I guess, as we go along. But, but this is a character that insists on doing the right thing. 
And, and mm-hmm. not that other characters we're going to see won't do the same, but I mean, y- you look at Galadriel, she was willing to put her soldiers in really a lot of danger in, in this single-minded pursuit that there wasn't a whole lot of evidence to support what she's doing. Right. You know, so was she doing the right thing? Well, okay, well, we've read the book, so okay, yeah. fine. <laughs> but, you know, that that's not the same as Nori in, in this case. So uh, she takes some food and a great scene when, when she gives him the snails and he's like, chomps down yeah, he eats the whole thing he's shelling on yeah. well he's hungry he's a growing boy yeah um but yeah you know i i believe when i don't even know if i still have it but when you were in the room that i know i, I think you had the uh the, the great teacher poster of what is popular is not always right what is right is not always popular right yep, yep. um and that absolutely is kind of speaks to what you were just talking about you know is that what nori could easily have just walked away. She just turned her back on the guy and say, you know, too big of a problem for me, not my problem. I'm going to walk away. But she doesn't. She does the right thing. Okay. Uh, Galadriel is about to go you know, return to Valinor. She's going home. This is the place where every other elf longs to be. And she rejects that because of what she knows is right. So, you know, we, we see, as you said, strong female characters with a strong moral fiber. And, and not only that, and the courage to stand up and do what's right. Yeah. But like Galadriel, I go back to that scene when she's got her little child army, and I'm making air quotes, and she's really placed them in a certain amount of danger going to pick berries in an area that they're not supposed to go into now on the other hand as soon as she senses the danger she gets them out of there quickly but still so so to me that just lends a a complexity to her character Mm -hmm. i i think as you said and we know that at the end of the day she's gonna do what's right rather than you know following any obsession the the way galadriel has done so you know so so obviously we'll we'll see more about them and the other you know we mentioned the building of the tower and elrond going to visit durin because if they're going to get this tower built in time i forget what the timetable was was it a year or i can't yeah i can't yeah but but it's a short amount of time and that while there are elven craftsmen there aren't enough of them, and apparently they aren't skilled enough to do what needs to be done, so they're going to need to enlist the help of the dwarves. And Elrond, who sees himself as this consummate statesman, decides, all right, I'm going to go to my friend Durin and you know, enlist their help. And, and, and we get the great scene where they're not even going to let him in. And he says, all right, well, I invoke whatever it is. And it's, you know, the, the rock breaking challenge. Oh which, yeah. I actually wrote it down. Um, but yeah, keep going. But, uh, you know, it was pretty impressive that Elrond hung in there as long as he did. Uh, I'll, I'll give sure. the guy props for that for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you got the sense that when he, you know, lays his hammer down that that's it, that, that Duran's not going to give in that's going to be that. And he's like, all right, well, just let me apologize 
to your wife and then I'll be on my way. <laughs> and then he mm-hmm. goes there and she's like, oh my God, you must be all right. You're definitely staying for dinner. He is not. He is. He is. <laughs> it was just a wonderful scene. And, and you, you know, we have friends like that that we haven't seen in a long time. And, you know, maybe they're not mad or we're not mad at each other, but, but it's like you get together, it might be 10 years and it's like, you don't miss a beat when you get back together and, and, and just such a wonderful sense of of these two friends and that she's heard so many stories. And and again, tell me how you two met. Uh, It was just classic. I mean, you could say, ah, that's such a trope. Ah, so what? So Sigin Tarag is the the name of the of the the right but yeah. but yeah yeah that, that and that's what is so well, first of all the almost necessary kind of quibbling between elves and dwarves sure uh that again we've seen from you know the, the lord of the rings books and everything being definitely played out you know the, the relationship with his wife because you know we you know Durin is a prince and everything but in his home, he does not rule the roost. Exactly, and um, right. and and to and to see like cause, like uh, Elrond has that nice quote of you know like where there is love, there is always light or something like that. Sure, um, and just see like this really this this great relationship between all three characters that um, you know that that this is the type of stuff that I, I loved. From the the Peter Jackson movies, you know, like I, yeah, the, the fight scenes were okay and everything, but my favorite part was really the opening scene of the first movie, Gandalf going to uh, Hobbiton. Well, I guess it's not necessarily opening, but it's close on one of the early things. Gandalf goes, and we see the ins and outs of life uh, of the hobbits, you know, and we just that it's that that just basic that everyday, you know, quotes I'm putting in quotes human existence you know because even though they're not humans it's just these are things we all understand you know sure. we all understand like these basic things of of life and and, and everything and so that's that's always was kind of the stuff i like the most so um that that dinner scene i thought was just was fabulous and then we also see as does um elron that he's grown a great elven tree from seeds that I don't know. Did, did are, are we to understand that he perhaps got the seeds from Elrond back, you know, in, in the past? But regardless, that's a pretty heavy indication that yeah, I'm mad at you, Elrond, but you, you've been here with me since we carved out this city in, in this mountain. But then again, of course, at the end, what secret do the dwarves hold? What the hell's in that box? So, yeah, that's um, just like from Pulp Fiction, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then Galadriel adrift. I mean, she momentarily climbs aboard what's left of this wrecked ship. And, you know, we see that they're human, and immediately we go to her and we say, okay, her hair's covering her ears at this point. Right. She purposely does that, right? Yes. Like, yes. It's before she tries gets onto the raft she covers up her ears so they won't know that she's an elf right but they figure that out pretty quickly and then what you think like wait a minute are we watching dune here with the uh, giant worm right (laughs) wrecking the ship (laughs) and then she finds herself on a even smaller 
you know, uh, raft with the human halberd. And it appears, at least based on what she's saying, that he just, you know, he, he took part of the raft or whatever. And, and, you know, he figures I'm not staying with them. It's like, I'll make myself a smaller target. So she certainly perceives him as somebody that's only out for himself. I think we've watched enough of these type of shows, read enough of these type of books that while that may be what he is at the beginning, a la somebody like Mad Max, Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, fine. If I have to do what's right, I will, but I don't like it. <laughs> and right. I think that's where we're headed here. In addition to the the human elf uh, shipping angle, if um, we're going to go that route, and how can it's, we not? It's it's possible for sure. Yeah. But you know, and again, it's it's strange. I, I know I keep talking about the the books because yeah, you know, we see in. in thousands of years down the line where there will be a much closer relationship between humans and elves as humans become more, you know, at the, what we see at the end of the Lord of the Rings is the dawn of the human race as the elves and, and the dwarves and everyone else kind of fades into the background as humans take prominence. It's kind of the opposite at this point in time. Sure. Right. And so humans are like, you know, like what we see are pretty distrustful, and everything, and so, and Halbrand, uh is really, um, he he's again, like you said, will ultimately do the right thing, but not like it. He doesn't want to bring on Galadriel, but he does, right? Yeah, right. And he jumps in to save her once she right. goes overboard, and and you know has the anchor like object uh, strapped to her leg, weighing Which her I'm down. Like, could he not? just pull the rope up would that not uh, well, have been quicker yeah probably but <laughs> not not as dramatic swim but, uh, down and everything and right but but she learns that they're fleeing their homeland because of the orcs and it's like orcs okay right you know so of course where are they take me there and okay so obviously once they make landfall we assume that's what's going to happen except that is this a corsair pirate ship that is looming next to them yeah i don't yeah. know we just see the, the the dude is being you know right. um lit from behind so we can't see who it is I, right you know, obviously <laughs> someone important well yeah well maybe but important maybe in a bad way because we heard about pirates yeah. and, and you know they, they can't it's like it can't be friendly it's like oh yeah come on we'll take you where you want to go that's nah, episode two it's got to be something bad um and then the last thing you know with uh avenir and braun when trying to get her people to leave after seeing this sinkhole in the other town which you know all, all this you know you mentioned the light dark imagery which is obviously huge and in lord of the rings world there's something there and and how long has that orc been leaving living below their floor right and did something wake it up i mean has it been asleep this whole time i mean i know her son says he thinks it you know here's the scratching and thinks it's rats but i don't you know yeah well, uh-huh. you know, like Fred said, there's there's not really mystery here, but there is a little bit of mystery. Yeah, sure. You know, so, uh-huh. so we don't know the answer to that. It's, and it certainly can lead to the, the bigger thing is where is Sauron? 
right? It's, sure. It's ultimately, and we know that there's going to be a huge war between right. uh, you know the humans, dwarves, elves, all combined versus the you know the orcs and the and and Sauron. It's we we know that he will be found. Yeah, that's the thing. Like we know, like where a lot of this already is heading. Right. It's, it's just, just a matter of how we get there. Right. Right. And what season <laughs> will we see right. this? But you know, it's like Moses leading her people, not necessarily to the promised land, but at least towards safety and away from the danger. But uh, anyway, what else? Honestly, I don't know. I think we, you know, we pretty much. Well, I just like that that scene where. Um, you know, what, what, I, oh, again, I just love that that scene in with the the out between Durin and Elrond, uh, but the the kids running around with the big heads on, oh yeah, and everything, you know, running into each other. So that was that was very funny. Again, just normal everyday family life and everything. Oh, oh well, just uh, the the one scene we didn't that that is kind of I'm wondering about is that scene where Nori is with the stranger, and the stranger's like drawing things right? oh the constellations yeah and at the same time nori's father uh gets hurt oh right and so we're seeing these two scenes cutting from one to the other in a montage i guess uh, it's not really a montage but so is there a cause and effect relationship here is something that the stranger was doing or drawing Cause your father to be hurt. There's almost a suggestion there, but also that doesn't make, you know, we would then say, well, why would the stranger want her dad to be hurt? And how did he know what her dad was doing? You know, things like that. So, right. uh, whether there's a causal effect there or not, that's, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I, I don't think there is. I, I do know on the rewatch, I not only covered my eyes, but covered <laughs> my ears. Mm-hmm. And, and it's still, oh, anyway. Yeah, it's no good. No. All right, you want to, and then do, do we when? Oh, oh, and we don't know what's happened to Aaron Deer, right? Because he just gets grabbed. Oh, right, 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 right. After they get separated, and he's down in the uh, yeah, in the tunnel. Yeah. So yeah, he dives underwater, which is like he just ah, that's not I, I, <laughs> in the cave diving underwater. I, I do not appreciate that scene a lot, but at no. least. Right, never good, and, and again, the the connection with the incident with Galadriel and and right, right, having to be pulled up. So yeah, so he gets out of there, and then he gets yanked. So we don't know. So so there are some there are some mysterious elements here. You know what's what's with the hilt that uh, that Theo has taken? Right, nothing good's going to come of that. You know what's happened to Arendir? You know what's happened to who's who's the dude? on on the ship so there's you know there's there's things that we have questions about so i think that that's good you know i I just i really liked how uh pretty much everything about this this yeah uh, i mean we don't have the where is mickle when is mickle questions right but no nothing nothing that big but but, uh, all right well let's hear what fred's got for us and we will be right back Hello Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Season 1, Episode 1 and 2. Whoa, this was a lot. More than two hours of television. Very impressive, very overwhelming. 
much better to my liking than Out of Range or Beforeners. But for podcasting, it also has some disadvantages. Out of Range and Beforeners, of course, are puzzles, are mysteries to solve. And this is not so much a mystery, I think. It's just following a series of historical events in which you just have to go along. And although this is playing thousands of years before The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, it still, of course, has a lot of connections and it's in the same world. It's just like House of the Dragons as prequel to The Game of Thrones. Big difference for me is that I watched all the Lord of the Rings movies and didn't watch Game of Thrones. Which makes the world building and the setting a little easier here. But on the other hand, Tolkien's world is so complex and elaborate that you still get lost uh, in all the names, etc. But I didn't have to learn here what are elves, what are dwarfs, what are hobbits, what are orcs, what are trolls, what are humans and which interplay do they have in the future. So I tried to watch the the Hobbit trilogy and the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but at the end I didn't watch anything. I did read some stuff now about the Harefoots as a as a kind of hobbits, about the lands and about Calabriel, how long she lived. Well, she lived on into the era of the Hobbits and Lord of the Rings, so that makes it quite different. So her life is not a threat. We recently had that, of course, also in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. So these prequels are very nice, but they also have the disadvantage that if there are characters that live on into, let's say, the Prime series, you will know that they will survive because they have a role in the Prime series. And playing thousands of years before The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings wouldn't do that, apart from the fact that elves live a very long life. Of course you can speculate what is going to happen, but it's not so much a puzzle. I was saying there were no real puzzles, that doesn't mean by the way that there are all kinds of questions. So who is this stranger that fell from the sky in this meteorite is of course a big question. What do Durin and his father have in this little chest or little box? I know Sauron gave one of the rings to the dwarves for safekeeping and that actually corrupted the dwarves later on. But I really wonder if in this stage the rings are already forged or is actually this elf Calimbrumbor as a weaponsmith going to make them? I don't remember who actually made the rings and how old they are. Of course we wonder how Bronwyn and her son Theo will go on, and what the role will be of this broken Sauron sword. I thought, where do I know this actress from who plays Bronwyn, Nazanin Boniadi? Well, she actually played a big role in Counterpart, a series that Dave also knows very well, with uh, G.K. Simmons in the lead role as Howard Silk. I think the series is for so far quite in equilibrium between the different storylines, so Nori Brandyfoot's story as a hobbit and of course Caladriel's story as Alf as well as Elrond's path where Arondir's story is going is a little fake. He is the elf that is in these orc tunnels 
Nice that the Bronwyn has a strong female role here. Clearly demonstrated by putting that orc hat on the table. The series got high praise so far, but there was a little criticism on the pace, which is sometimes a little slow, but I think for such a epic story, it's quite okay. That will be all for now. Greetings. All the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Uh, you know, now you just mentioned the, the lack of mysteries or maybe not. And, you know, Fred points that out. It's, it's not like Outer Range or Be Foreigners or, or Dark, as I mentioned. But, you know, there are a lot of questions that we, we know where we're headed. We just don't know how we're going to get there and 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 how soon we're going to get there so uh you know that's that's certainly true um it is a lot to take in and and like we mentioned up front for the first time tolkien viewer i I would just say just stick with it You, you know don't get hung up on having to know all the names having to know all the species back you'll get it it's not going to take long yeah or you can you know go and I mean, it would take you upwards of nine, ten hours to do, but go watch the uh, the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you certainly could do that. I mean, there's there's no question. And I just don't watch them back to back to back in one day. Yeah, you That's, already pointed out. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, all right. Anything else about Fred's feedback? No, I think we kind of. I, I I've been kind of like mixing in as during the course of the podcast. So, thank okay. you again, Fred. All right. Um, yeah, I'm going to go A minus. Uh, you know, um, I sense you want to go full A, but uh, you know, I was thinking full A, but I I want to hold back a little bit just because I, I want to be able to work up to something. <laughs> uh, it was really, really good. Yes, it was. It was visually stunning. The I, I think it, it brought us in right away. It you know did a really good job. Like I said, they don't. They do have to spend some time world building, but they don't have to spend too much time because, again, I, I really feel like they're they're almost banking on most of the people watching it being at least fifty percent familiar with sure. you know, these characters and stuff. But sure, um, sure, and they are long episodes, so they do have a little extra time yeah. to do both. Yeah, which I'm appreciative of of that as well. And like, yeah, the guys with like the big horns antlers yeah i don't know if they're wearing the antlers like the the second time around like i think maybe the antlers are growing out of their back or something yeah i couldn't tell the hunters yeah right so um just stuff like that it was just so so cool i I think i like that the most because that was something new right like oh i haven't seen you know creatures like that before so that was that was kind of new, and, and I, I like that a lot. So I'm, I'm just going to go, even, even though I, I'm sorely tempted to go full A on this, um, I'm going to I'm going to stick with A minus, just so we have a okay. something to work up to. Okay, all right, sounds good. You, you know that 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 tr- trite, worn out phrase that well, you know what? There's something for everybody out there, <laughs> and you know if you're a fantasy fan and you're not like in television heaven at this point with the power of the rings uh, or now i keep for you it's the rings of the power. rings of power yeah and the game of thrones prequel uh, i don't know what to tell you uh, there's something for everybody <laughs> and i'll just yeah. leave it at that yeah 
Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. I, I wouldn't like have the kiddos watching uh, Game of Thrones, but uh, you know, with with some parental oversight, the the uh, uh, Rings of Power is always always good. Yep. So. All right, well, listen, that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about the Lord of the Rings prequel that we are going to podcast for the next eight weeks or so. Anything going on in your genre TV world, check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. We'll be back next time to discuss episode three of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. But until then, you know, even though for I studied it for so long in school and, you know, I just never really applied myself. And here I am. I don't speak Firefly.